The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for November 10th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all our podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to redcircle.com. You click the red button and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, I'm Max Beers. Joined as always by my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we were dreading, I don't say dreading, we were looking forward to this weekend. We were anticipating this weekend. Let's go anticipating. We were anticipating this month. We were anticipating this weekend. But it's finally here. The Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2020 is this Sunday. And I'm ready to go for it. Like It, it took me a, a little bit after Get Destiny to get prepared for it. But now I'm just stoked and ready to go with uh, this weekend's show. You know, Mike, we're we're a part of the biggest month and arguably the busiest month in the promotions history. And I gotta say, I'm glad I I'm glad I made it here because earlier today I was taking a walk around my neighborhood. It was dark out. I, I went on a walk later than I normally do, and I got caught in a hellacious rainstorm about three quarters of a mile from my apartment. I uh, turned the corner past a Starbucks and uh God let out fury towards the civilians of Chicago, and I ran home with run, forest, run type energy as lightning was crashing down all around me. It was a torrential downpour. It's the second time this year I've been caught walking in a rainstorm. It was very scary, and it's only rain, but it's it was terrifying, quite honestly. So I'm glad I'm alive, and I'm glad I'm here talking with you about Drangate now. You know, it's been the second wettest year on record in the upstate South Carolina, and it just seems like like I thought I moved away from this stuff, but I guess my rain luck has spread to you. I have not been caught out in the rain as much we- as much up here as I would in Florida, but there's no more miserable feeling than a sudden downpour and your umbrella breaks or you're just not expecting it, and then you're like, oh, wait, I have at least 
a 10 minute walk at the very least to get back to where I am. And then I'm going to be drenched for the rest of the day. It's miserable. I, I, I feel for you there. Can I say something super problematic to start this podcast? Well, we are only two minutes in, so it's about time for one of us to fuck up in one way. I am, uh, you know, not exactly the definition of a masculine man. I have tried to rid a lot of the toxic masculinity from my life. One of my big barriers, though, umbrellas. I feel ridiculous holding on an umbrella. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't it more ridiculous to get rained on? The answer is absolutely yes. But I I hate them. I hate holding an umbrella. There's something about it that makes me feel uh, less than. And I, and I don't like doing it at all. Now, typically, if I'm leaving my house, I'm wearing a hat. So I at least have some sort of protection there. But, uh... I am hoping one day I can cross the umbrella threshold, but I don't own one. I don't keep one with me, and I know they're one of the most useful things you can own, but I don't like them. Dude, uh, your mindset there, drop you in South Florida for about one week, and you'll bring it. If you have a book bag or messenger bag, you'll toss one in there. Like, you just get used to it, and it's one of those things that it saves you until you have, like, I remember one time, I was in downtown Miami, which is very different from the Miami that most people outside of South Florida know about. Just grabbing lunch, and it was cow. I just got a chicken chop. I was going to a Cuban place getting a chicken chop, and I was caught out in the rain. I was only five blocks away, and I was like, okay, I have my umbrella, my book bag, my umbrella with me. The rain was so heavy that it turned my umbrella inside out, and I actually walked into the archive dripping, and was like, guys. This is not going to be fun for me for the next few hours, but I'm going to have to do something here, and I apologize. And it was actually me trying to dry my socks because it was soaked through. And I I wear work boots when I was working in the archive just because of dealing with heavy things, wanting to protect my feet. But it somehow soaked through there. And ever since then, I think about that whenever being caught out in the rain. Uh, that That is fair. Luckily, both times this year, I've been on walks when it started pouring out, I've been, I've been running to my house. I've been running to my home. So when I get there, I can immediately change and dry things off. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's flawed logic. My umbrella logic. I don't say it proudly. I almost am am hoping for some sort of an intervention. Maybe I need to be caught out in the rain where I, you know, I'm running my first errand of the day and I'm on a pretty tight schedule I will eventually learn my lesson, but right now, I just, I don't want to do it. I don't like umbrellas. It, it, you'll get caught out in the rain one time too many, and you're like, you know what? I'll toss in my messenger bag. I'll toss it in my fanny pack. I'll have one with me. It's just, you just get over it. I, I'm tossing it in my backpack. I'm not, not using a messenger bag. I'm not using a fanny pack. I'm tossing it in my backpack. And we are going to go on our way. And again, I know this sounds ridiculous. I sound stupid saying it, and I feel stupid saying it, but it's a mental block that I have not been able to get past. <laughs> I mean, I have a waterproof messenger bag from my time in Miami that was like made, designed for messengers. It wasn't like when the hipster one. It was like, oh yeah, bike messengers did this at a friend of the former one. It's like, go to this brand. They use like parachute material. It will be light and won't get any rain anywhere. You just, you have to learn to adapt to these things. And you know, I'm just going to drop you in the middle of downtown Miami and say, all right, uh, after today, you, 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 I'll give you an umbrella just because I feel like you need to experience that and then you'll smarten yourself up about that.
that's kind of the equivalent of when New Japan wrestlers go to Canada to prepare for the G1 and they embark on the toughest training session of their entire life to get in shape for that tournament. Mike is dropping me uh, in rain in Miami, so I will learn my lesson. It was kind of fitting you were talking about baseball hats because the story of Dragon Gate going into Kobe World 2020 is the story of SBK and his baseball hat. In case, as we are probably two of the biggest baseball cap aficionados, enthusiasts that you will hear in wrestling podcasts, what are your thoughts about the SBK hat? You know, America has been going through some changes for so long the red baseball hat was a sign of excellence. It was a sign of com- combining rap and rock into a sound that was truly magnificent. When Fred Durst was uh, staying fitted, New Era committed, and his red hat was getting a rap from these critics, it was it was cool to wear a red hat. And, uh, Mike, I don't know if you follow politics at all, but something happened about four or five years ago where all of a sudden it became incredibly uncool to wear red hats out in the open and maybe SBK Kento Kabune missed that message, but every time I see him with that red hat on, I think that dude's wearing a Trump hat, and uh, it's unsettling until I until I read the font and I see SBK, and then I realize, oh, he's kind of just in his edge lord phase right now. <laughs> you know, I find the SBK hat and how proud he is wearing it very very charming. Like he starts wrestling matches with a hat on, he'll get mad when he gets knocked off, and then eventually ten minutes in, he'll finally get rid of the hat he's just really proud of it and i find that really kind of funny it's objectively better and i do say this to solely get under people's skin it is objectively better than naito wrestling with a hat on i just think kento kabune is better at it well, well he has a certain job de vif that naito in his cold dead eyes does not have uh, naito in his cold dead matches as well oh <laughs> but we have some stuff to get into this week that weren't necessarily cold dead matches. We had two televised shows this week before we get into our Kobe world preview. So they had their monthly Corkin show and an appearance in the friendly confines of KBS hall. We know what we're here for this week. Y'all want to hear a big in depth the 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 best preview that you'll ever hear about Kobe world 2020. So we're going to go through these cards, give our big takes from 10 from 11, five and 11, seven. And then we're going to spend most of this episode giving the time it deserves. It is the big show. It is the big match, as Dragon Gate likes to put it, coming up this Sunday. So, Case, without unless you have any other notes, let's get into these quick recaps. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so Corkin Hall was on November 5th. This is part of the Gate of Evolution Tour. Tenants slightly down, 668 versus 685. Case and I talked a little bit before the show about how we're going to be doing these. Our real takes are going to start as we get into the meat of the cards, but case okay, so if there's anything from these first three matches you want to point out as I'm going, just feel free to jump in. And starting the show, we had a singles match. It was the remaining rookies of Takedo Kame and Madoka Kakuda losing to BB Hulk and Takashi Yoshida. Kame got the uh, took the fall in 10 minutes and 25 seconds with Yoshida's uh, release powerbomb. Six-man tag was match two. Masaki Mochizuki, Gamma, and Problem Dragon versus Asumi Yokosuka, Kinki Horiguchi, and Yuzushi Kanda. Kanda got the pin on Problem Dragon to win that match. Then Max 3 was Keisuke Okuda and Jason Lee defeating the team of Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto when Ishida got DQ'd due to ref attacks on Okuda in 11 minutes and 11 seconds. And 
you know, just was kind of like a standard Dragon Gate uh, cork and open uh, first few matches. The best match, in my opinion, out of those three was the uh, tag match where we had another uh, clash between Okuda and Nishida. Yeah, that match was a lot of fun. I understand the non-finish there. I didn't mind it. It was a solid and brisk undercard to the show. And then we got into more of the meat of the show. This was an eight-man tag. Don Fuji, Masato Yoshino, Don Fuji, and Kenichiro Arai versus the Team Boku team of Naruki Doi, Ryo Saito, and Punch Tomonaga with now the renamed Boku R Shimizu. It's a big joke on it. He used to be called Big R Shimizu. Uh, Shimizu lost in 12 minutes and 56 seconds with the Log Magistral Cradle from Ultimo. So what do you think about this finish? Is this Shimizu being cycled down the card, or are we now facing the reality that this is what the former Big R Shimizu is now? It's, I hate saying I can't tell yet, but it does feel like at the very least he's being cycled. And it's something that like in this act, you have someone like Saito who fluctuates between being an all-out combat wrestler and then big match of Saito. But you really kind of need Shimizu to be the top of the line appeal here. And it's something that's very stark with where he is. And it's something where, I mean, when we get into Kobe World, you notice how he's being, it's at least a cycle down. I don't know if this is the reality for Boku or Shimizu going forward, though. I think the perfect comparison is Saito. I think that's the future of his career. We'll get a Boku or Shimizu Dreamgate match. Maybe once every 18 months, once every two years. He'll be a Triangle Gate champion. He might even be a Twin Gate champion. But I really thought when he lost at Dangerous Gate that he would be toughened up and would become more serious and would be a main event level player truly for the first time in his career. After, like I've said numerous times now, 2015, 2016. I really thought he was one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. I mean, I really thought this guy was someone that that maybe couldn't be a sustainable Dreamgate champion, but someone that deserved to be on the top of these cards. I think his future is Saito. I think he's going to primarily be a comedy guy, a glue guy, a staple on these shows. And every once in a while, he'll peak really highly. But I, I just think we're at, you know post-peak Shimizu now. I don't think, unless something drastically changes, or maybe until Team Boku ends, we're not getting Dia Hearts or Monster Express-level Shimizu anytime soon. Yeah, and it's something that, when you like look at what's set up ahead, he is pretty much out of the mix in a lot of ways. And it makes you wonder, like, the generational war does feel like it's about to wrap up soon, but it does make you wonder, like, is he just not going to be a frontline player going forward? And it does really kind of feel like that the uh, Ryosu, uh, that the uh, big, the Boku Arashimizu, see, I said all three of his names for saying the right one, <laughs> character does seem a lot like Sairio going forward. It's a bummer. I'd like him to do more, but also there's just such a plethora of talent and the mid to, you know, mid card, upper mid card and main event scenes that, you know, somebody has to fall off. And we saw UT, who we're just about to talk about, he seemed to, at least upon his return, be down cycled a little bit below the Brave Gate scene, which is his peak. Shimizu really got down cycled on the card. And I just, in this current character, I don't, I don't get the feeling that he's going to rebound anytime soon, which is a bummer. But, you know, you got to make cuts somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned UT. He was the big star in this next match. This was a six-man tag. This was a Kobe World preview match that, unlike a lot of big preview matches, this one over-delivered. It is the two challenger teams will be facing RED at Kobe World on Sunday. The Torimon team is Dragon Kid, Suji Kondo, and Kagatora. The uh, Dragon Gate Generation team is Benkei, Yosuke, Samaria, and UT. UT got the win with the Passion Flash Cradle on Kagatora in 16 minutes and 35 seconds. And they limited UT for so long, but it's very clear now that they aren't worried and the limiter is off. We got the thing I'm probably most excited for at Kobe World going ahead. UT and Shuji Kondo. These are two guys that I slapped my forehead not thinking that these two guys would be great together, but it, it was the standout thing on the show is UT versus Shuji Kondo in this match. I sent Mike a message earlier today saying that if I had the pencil right now, I am already booking in advance. You want to pull up your TEW system and do your pre-booking. May 2021, Cork and Hall, first round King of Gate. UT is rolling up Shuji Kondo in the middle of Cork and Hall. It's happening. And and then Shuji Kondo should go back to destroying this kid whenever he gets the chance. But that is the match that I just... I, I just need it to happen. I have such a strong feeling about that match because I I love this. And a lot of that is the Dragon Kid Kagatora Kondo team. Now, we'll, we'll preview Kobe World in a minute. I don't think they're winning the belts at World, but I hope this is not the end of this Kid Kagatora Kondo team. I think they are an excellent trio. I think they all complement each other so well. But the story coming out of this match was UT and Shuji Kondo, and it makes sense because UT is someone who is the ultimate underdog. He has made a career off of fighting guys twice his size, and Shuji Kondo, at least in the Dragon system, is best known for attempting to murder Dragon Kid at Kobe World 2004 and their few that they had. And, you know, it's certainly the more apropos comparison to Dragon Kid is Dragon Daya, but UT is around the same size, even smaller than Dragon Kid, so it makes sense that those two work on such an incredible level, that being Kondo and UT. Plus, they both have extensive Yave backgrounds, and so you really see some slick gla- sick. Let me try that again. Some slick grappling between these two, more so than just UT escaping death at every big bomb that Kondo throws at him. Yeah, this was the almost the, it was the second longest show on, on the card, 16 minutes. Go out of your way for it. I didn't just see that the English commentary version of this show just went up yesterday, so Monday as of the time of recording. So you'll at least get a chance to watch this match. This is the match to go out of your way of watching. The Japanese version of the show will be pulled by the time we do the uh, but by the time the show is released. But I love this. I get this four and a quarter stars. I'm the same rating as you. And then we had the main event. This was another preview. Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. Eight-man tag. Yamato, KZ, Kota Minora, and Dragon Daya versus Ada, Kai, the newly dubbed SB Kento, the former Kento Kabune, and Daya Inferno as Kento SB Kento submitted Daya with the SB shooter. Thank you very much, Dragon Gate, for giving it a name so I don't try to butcher it like I did last week. And it's this really was kind of the... SB show going into it, and yet I felt like there was a lot of solid face-offs that went on ongoing in this match. 
I might be higher on this match than you, but I will make this point really simple. If you are listening to this podcast, if you are on the fence about trying out Dragon Gate, maybe you're excited for Kobe World, and you're listening to this as sort of a primer, all I can tell you is to watch this main event. And it's look, it's not a match of the year contender. Uh, we've seen better matches in Dragon Gate this year. We've seen better multi-man matches in Dragon Gate this year. But if you are on the fence, watch this match, and then from there you will be able to determine uh, your Dragon Gate viewing from here on out. Because look, this is a snapshot of the modern era, and I just really, really liked that about this match. It reminded me a little bit of June fifth, two thousand seven. The six-man three-way tag match that, you know, was a level above this match because that, that three-way match is a match of the year contender, but it's Magnitude Kishiwata, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi of Muscle Outlaws against New Hazard, Hulk Kong, and Shingo, and Typhoon of Dragon Kid, Ryo Saito, and Susumu Yokosuka. That match feels like a really specific snapshot of a specific era in Dragon Gate where they got all of the guys that really felt like they were on the cusp of doing something really interesting or were in the prime of their career, and they just let them go wild in Cork and Hall. And, it, you know, it goes down. That's That June 2007 match, I think, is one of the more infamous matches in Dragon Gate history. It's one that circulated really well. A lot of people have seen it. This match probably won't have the same staying power, but if we're talking about Dragon Gate in 2020... This is the match. These are the guys that matter. These are the stories that matter. And the post-match only adds on to that with the return of Shun Skywalker. So, Mike, I don't know what you gave this. In my review over at VoicesOfWrestling.com, where I give extended thoughts on all these matches, I went four and a half. I went three and three quarters. I thought that... I I, I think you're right, especially comparing to 2007. This is like the encapsulation of the, uh, the promotion and the thing and as a good entry point in this it's just one of those things that maybe i was coming down from ut and and suji kondo but i thought this was a, a strong main event i i'm really now on board with this inferno and dia feud in a way that i was not last month and you know it's something that like you guys see some matchups that we really haven't had opportunity to see a lot of like spk and kota minora has some really solid chemistry with each other and it's a just a solid main event and Here's one of the wondrous things about Dragon Gate. If you are a new, if you're a new watcher, if this is the first time you're listening to the program, this match had eight people in it. The oldest person in this match is Yamato at 39, and then Kai at 37. Everyone else in this match is under the age of 30, if not under the age of 25. Kento Kabune, who won this match with submission, is 20 years old. I mean, we're talking about if everything goes right, if he stays healthy, if he doesn't flee the promotion another 20 years of this. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it's really unbelievable. And I, Mike, I think your rating is appropriate. It's probably a three and three quarter star match, but I, you know, maybe this is too meta or far too philosophical. Maybe I'm just taking my, my reviewing job too seriously, but I felt like I needed to give this four and a half because I do feel like this match needs to be preserved and to an extent memorialized in some way because like I said this is this is Dragon Gate right now you know we don't have Shima we don't have Shingo this is the company at large and I just think that was really important to make note of so I I think I just have a very strong emotional reaction to that match and because of it I was much higher than anybody else I've seen I think the semi-main event with UT and Kondo 
everybody I've talked to, the ratings I've seen, it's all around four and a quarter. I'm much higher on the main event, but I'm okay with that because I think it represented something larger. No, that's that's entirely fair. Uh, one thing I should note, KZ is over the age of 30. He's like 35. So just wanted to be factually correct here. He and... looks like he's 26. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's one of those guys like me that is sneaky old. Uh, I'm someone that not only have I been carded buying GTA 5, but the, earlier this year when I was doing campaigning during the Democratic primary for a certain candidate, the person that was my uh, that was my get out the vote partner thought I was in college. They thought I was like 19. Well, congratulations on your win, by the way, Mike. Oh, oh I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, hey, hey. I will say I'm in a much uh, better state of mind than I was when we were recording this podcast last week, where around this time, results for the election started pouring in, and it was going very poorly at first, and I don't remember if we did Drangit USA or the Weekly Roundup first last week, but I know by the second show, it, I was just not having fun. I, 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 well, we, I gave you a pep talk, and it turned out to be right in between shows. I, I, I right now stand to make over a hundred dollars on this election because because while you because while you're in a bad mood I was like I need to go check out gambling right now <laughs> and was able to get in right before it changed on Joe Biden uh, plus one eighty so you know I'm in a lot better mood too I'm about to get one hundred ten dollars. Look, I I grew up in a house where it, there weren't a lot of strict rules. Like my parents really don't have strong feelings about things that that don't affect them in a negative way. I, they, they're very worldly people. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. But the one thing that I always grew up with was my, my dad hates gambling and he doesn't like gamblers. And I grew up just thinking that all gamblers are degenerates. And I really reinforced that with people betting money on the, on the future of our country. I was disgusted at the bets being thrown out there. I guess, you know, oh. it's it's better to, to bet on Trump and maybe make a little scratch as we watch democracy crumble. But, oh, man, my, my degenerate alarms were going off all week last week. I could not believe it. <laughs> uh, here's the difference in our, in our two upbringings. My parents took me to the to the horse track when I was four. Oh, God. Yeah, no, not my parents. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Anyways, so, so the post match, as you mentioned, uh, we had another face off with Shun Skywalker and Ada. SBK kept on the SB shooter for like two minutes after, to the extent that I was like, man, they are really making the gimmick of that no one can get out of this hold underway. Then we had a big brawl, and Shun Skywalker came out doing the same stuff he did at Gate Destiny. And then our final note on the show is that Ada broke the dream key that he had on the title belt. Do we think at Kobe World, this is, a, this is you know what, if this was a prop bet, I would put money on this because I think it'll happen. Do we think at Kobe World, Shun Skywalker is going to enter with his entrance music or is are the lights going to go down and he's just going to appear in the ring? I kind of want him to disappear in the ring, but I assume that they're not going to. Like, if they do that, like, that's an interesting bet to me because I can see them going either way. It, it's one of those... He either, if they're going to do that, he either has to be under the ring the entire show or they have to cut the lights and this man has to run down the Kobe World stage in the dark and get to the ring in time. I, I've talked myself out of it, but the visual of Shun Skywalker running through Kobe World Hall in the dark to get into the ring is my new favorite visual. Well, if they have an extra long uh, pre-match video, then you could pretty much... I think it's even odds there. I mean, five. Oh, if it's like, oh. if, 
if it's a four minute video, they're going to dim the lights for the crowd so they focus the screen anyway. So you won't even have to lo uh, lose his breath on it. What's the uh, what's the promo code? Is it my bookie backslash everything elite? Oh, it is mybookie.ag, and you just use the promo code elite. Oh, thousand, my goodness. For 100% uh, free roll up to $1,000 on your first deposit. That is mybookie.com, or mybookie.com, and then type in elite. You can tell that I'm not the one who usually does the uh, the uh, reads, can't you? Uh, you can tell I out of myself is not listening to the last few episodes <laughs> since I got the URL wrong. <laughs> You know, it, it is what it is. It is what you guys, it is. You guys do a good job over there, Mike. Well done. Much uh, m much like this KBS Hall show, by the end of it, I was delightfully delightfully uh, surprised. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, this was a perfectly fine Kyoto show. It does have some stuff that uh, was better than fine. It's a show that was like in a really weird place because you kind of would think that, that face-off between Shin Skywalker and Ada should be the last thing there, but... They had the show here. Probably would have been better if scheduling worked out. This was after Kobe World, but it was a fun show. It was on the 7th. It will remain on the network until the 14th. Attendance 219. That's down from 255. I mean, they've been running that area a whole lot, so no big surprise here. And talking to you beforehand, there's only really one match that I, I had a whole lot of thoughts. So unless there's anything you really want to kind of get in on, I'm ready just to run down the results. Oh, I've got thoughts on one match and one match only. All right, so the opener was a six-man tag. Team Boku of Saireo, Shimizu, and Punch Tomonaga lost to Susumi Yokosuka, Ginki Horiguchi, and Yasushi Kanda with a countered La Maga Straw Cradle. That sets up the fact that now at Gate of Origin, this team has next for whoever is the Triangle Gate champion team. Next match was R.E.D. versus Dragon Gate singles match. Yosuke Samaria beat Kazuma Sakamoto in 11 minutes, 28 seconds with a inside cradle. Match three, Benkei and Minonora defeated Ultimo and Madoka Kakuta in 13 minutes and 32 seconds with the gang from Minora on Kakuta. Match four is an eight-man tag. It was Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. Yamato, Jason Lee, Kesuke Akuda, and Dragon Daya defeated B.B. Hulk, Kai, Kaido Ishida, and Daya Inferno. Daya won with the disqualification on, on Inferno. Tag team match, KZ and UT. Lost to Masato Yoshino and Suji Kondo when Kondo submitted UT with the Gorilla Clutch. And then the main event was Dragon Kid, uh, Naruki Doi, and Kagatora losing to the RED team of Ada, Takashi Yoshida, and SB Kento. SB Kento got the submission win again with the SB Shooter. And as you said, there's only one real match to talk about. It's the semi-main event of KZ and UT versus Masato Yoshino and Suji Kondo. So what were your big takeaways of that match? It was more of the same from Cork and Hall. I was I was right on the dot at four stars here. I think this was a legitimately great match, and it's one of those, you know, if you're dipping your toes in the water this week, sign up for Kobe World for the Drangate Network. Watch the last half of that Kobe or I'm sorry, that Cork and Hall show. And, you know, if if you if your blood's pumping, if you want a little bit more before Kobe World, I'll tell you two things. One Watched Yoshino and Kondo versus KZ and UT on the show. I thought it was absolutely excellent. And then I, I tweeted this out from the Open the Voice Gate account today, but the February Cork and Hall show is back up on the network with commentary fully produced, and that has the Naruki Doi versus KZ Dreamgate match on it, which might be my overall match of the year. If not, it's only going to be beat out by a few of the Tokyo Dome matches from January. I wanted to mention that somewhere on the podcast tonight, because uh, I, I think there are going to be a lot of new people signing up for the network. This is where I'm going to do it. 
watch the last half of the Corkin Hall show, Yoshino and Kondo versus KZ and UT, and if you want more, Doi versus KZ from February. Yeah, no, uh, 2-7 is still my match of the year, so worth going out of your way for, and just was a great tag match. I mean, this was like another perfect way of building up things to the Triangle Gate, and you also had Yoshino who took delight in tying UT up into knots. It just was a good time. It was a solid uh, quarter hour. I give it three and three quarters. It's it was easily the match of the night. Yeah, can't can't knock you there. It is a it was a very fun tag match on a show that is it wasn't a bad show, but it we just had the cork and Kobe Worlds coming up. It just felt a little inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Right, right, and then you know it's time to talk about Kobe World. It's going to be the fifteenth in Kobe World Kenan Hall English commentary, three p.m. Japan start time. Check your local listings. I'm not going to butcher all of the uh, time code differences there. Big before we start breaking down the matches overall. Interesting Cork and Hall. Very interesting that that there there are matches to get people on here, but a lot of the matches here on the show just overall are are not what I would have had two months ago leading into this. But you know, a lot of stuff here I find on the whole pretty interesting, and I'm pretty and I'm really and I'm really, really stoked for the show. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really good show. You know, last year during Kobe World, I think, one, I mean, Mike, think about this. This was only a year and a few months ago, the Ben K versus Pac match. I mean, that seems like it was a lifetime ago, but that was last Kobe World, last July. For those that don't know, maybe a little bit newer to the promotion, I'm I'm assuming we have some newer listeners this week. I could be wrong, so I apologize if I'm giving you very basic information. Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival is the biggest Dragon Gate show of the year. Outside of the top New Japan shows, it's the biggest show in Japan every year. I think that's fair to say now, because uh, I, I don't think Noah or All Japan, unless they're running Sumo Hall, you know, they're not running bigger venues, and I think they don't fill up those venues, and Dragon Gate typically puts on a pretty nice house in Kobe World Hall. Uh, normally this show takes place in July. For a while it was taking place the first week of July. Now it typically takes place the third week of July. But because of the globe and the pandemic that's happening, it was moved to November of this year. The pageantry is second to none. This feels uh, really, other than Wrestle Kingdom and WrestleMania, this is probably the show that feels biggest on the wrestling calendar. Drangate takes this show very seriously. And... I like this card. Last year, I think we were expecting a show of the year contender, and it delivered. It's one of the best Dragon Gate shows of all time. Mike, did we go over our Kobe World recommendations last year on the podcast? Is that something we did? Yeah, I remember us doing it last year on the podcast because we talked about the New Hazard Trios match from Dead or Alive. Oh, not Dead or Alive, Kobe World 2007. So if you go back about a year in the feed and, you know, it's it's out there somewhere. If you can't find it, tweet at one of us or tweet at the Open the Voice Gate account. We can certainly link you to it. But all of the Kobe Worlds from the first one in 1999 through 2019, they're all on the network. Some of them are in full. Some of them are clipped. But you'll get the big matches in full even on the clip shows. Uh, so if you're new to the network, I mean, you've got 20 years of history to dig through there. This year, I don't. I don't have show of the year vibes. I don't even know if this will be a better show than Dangerous Gate when things are all said and done, but I do really like most of this card. Yeah, there's just a lot of things offered here and a lot of things that, you know, don't happen too often that are happening here that that makes me 
really intrigued with it and this is such like a big show for dragon gate this is the first time that i since i can remember outside of that one dead or alive they had a lot of singles matches to build up the cage that they had a nine match main show card like that's how serious this show is to dragon gate and outside of if you take noah or not noah take new japan out of the picture this will probably be the most attended show for the rest of the year in the world yeah i think it's a very fair assessment so let's i i I think it's best just to start with the opener and go on from there it is match four in the uh, feud of the year it is the open the brave gate championship match it is the return match from just last week it is keisuke akuda defending his open the brave gate title in his first defense against the former champion kaido ishida okuya accepted this match as as this challenge but with the condition that is the opening match this harkens back to dangerous gate where kaido ishida made a defense against yosuke samaria but since Santa Maria typically is a comedy wrestler, he refused to have this match outside of the first uh, match on the show. So this seems like it's the big blow-off. Okuda and Ishida, who do you think is walking out of Kenan Hall as Bravegate champion? Mike, I know I was wrong when we gave our Gate of Destiny previews and I said Kaito Ishida was retaining the title. I got news for you, though. I'm doubling down. I think this match is such a red herring and I think, and I will explain as we get to it, that we are going to need Twin Gate challengers, and Kaito Ishida is winning his belt back in the opening match. You know, it is something that with the championships and where they are right now, that that doesn't seem like that's that of an insane take, if you ask me. I, I, I see your logic there. I, I think Okuda wins just because I think Ashida is going to need is going to be doing bigger things soon so you might so he's done with the brave gate and i think it's something that for akuda you still have all these matches that he has not had yet as he's only been a champion for a week and i hope to see that continue but but i totally see your 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 uh, pathologic there oh god i mean if akuda wins we're in luck because we're getting more brave gate akuda defenses and and that's you know that's going to be delightful if that happens but i I, I just, them doing this match again, I, you know, you say Ashita's going to be doing better, bigger and better things, and I agree. I think he's the future of whatever heel unit comes next, and I think he'll be a main event player. But if he's the future in some capacity, are they really going to have Akuda beat him twice in two weeks? I mean, that is, like, the thing is, you he's now going to be definitively... Uh, out of the division in theory if he loses this so is it something that you could still do the big pitch that we're expecting for him with him taking a step back and losing these two matches it's remained to be seen but i do have a overall kind of don't even want to say a suspicion but i just it's something where i feel like that ishida wins back the title who does he really have defenses against ut probably maybe maybe if you're really stretching it's shisa like, it's something where Ishida has pretty much done all he can, and that's why I kind of see that it's time for Okuda to get the title and run with it. Well, look, I got news for you. If you're throwing out Ishida versus Shisa, we need that match to happen. So now I really hope Ishida <laughs> retains the belt. I mean, it has to happen in front of 70 uh, housewives in Kobe Lapis Hall if it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen in my backyard. I'm flying them into the country. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ashita versus Super, Super Shisa? Oh, my God. I will I mean, I'll get to Japan before Larry Dallas if they book that match. 
<laughs> I mean, it, it, it is a, a no, dream notebook match for me as well. So I, if it, if that's the route, then come on. Early, uh, actually perfect champion Kate defense. Super Shisa versus Kaido Ishida. This happens. Let's go. But speaking of Shisa, he's involved in the Battle Royal on match two. This basically has everyone on the show. They try to get everyone onto every show, even with like how much of a regular they are, a part-timer. So it is a Battle Royal. The participation, the participants are Super Shisa, Konamawa Ichikawa, Sachi Okoboy, Gamma, Boku R. Shimizu, Punch Tomonaga, Problem Dragon, Diamante, who I guess is being cleared from his elbow injury that forced him to vacate the titles. Uh, Hyo, Hoho, Loon, and Jimmy. The winner of this match earns the right to ask for an in-ring wish of their choosing. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a real geek collection, and then Diamante. And, and that does not, you know, exclude Boko R. Shimizu from being in the geeks. I think that's where he is now. Now, of course... He could win this match and challenge for the Dreamgate belt, and I could look like an idiot next week. I already said I don't like umbrellas. I'm already looking like an idiot. So it wouldn't shock me if Shimizu wins this match, but, you know, I guess it could be Diamante. It could, if Akuda retains, it could be Hyo, and that could be the next defense. That wouldn't shock me. Selfishly, I hope Jimmy wins just because Jimmy's been in the dojo all year. I think he works hard. I think he's gotten much better lately, but... With the stipulation being that, you know, the winner gets the right to ask for an in-ring-related wish of their choosing, I tend to think they're going to, you know, go with a a Shimizu or a Diamante or even a Gamma I could see winning this match. So I really have no feel for the booking here because of that added stipulation. I mean, I'm of the belief I think Punch Shimanaka can win this thing since he will probably just say, I want a title match for, like, the Triangle Gate or the Twin Gate. Like, you it's hard to count people out in this match, given the uh, stakes at the end of it. Yeah, that would suck. I would not <laughs> love Punch winning this match. Punch, again, seems like the nicest guy in the world, but I don't... I My, my general rule of thumb, I don't want Punch winning at Kobe World, and I think that's fair to say. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card... But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. No, you're entirely justified with that. Match three is a tag match. Probably, if you're looking for a a bet for the sneaky best match on the show that's not a title match, it's this one. It is the the tag team of Marahi Asapa, representing the uh, Torimon generation, Ginky Horiguchi and Ryo Saito. Going against the rookies, Takeo Kamei and Madoka Kakuta. And this match could really knock everyone out of the water. Like, this match does have that ceiling in my mind. Oh, yeah. I I think Kakuta and Kamai. Is it Takeo Kamei or Takeo Kamai? Kamei is how it's pronounced. You Yeah, you were saying Kamei, and I need to get on that. You you were correct at first. Uh yeah, this match could be excellent. I I think Horiguchi's going to have chemistry that's really strong with both of them. I'm hoping Saito leans more into hard-working Saito rather than than comedy Saito. But I I can't help but wonder if Saito as a whole is going to play a much larger uh, role in this match and in the future. Because we've seen Kento Kabune, SBK, join up with R.E.D., he keeps on telling the uh, his his contemporaries Kamei and Kakuta that he can that they can join him as well in the heel unit, but I I don't see that happening. Mike, can you talk me off of the ledge? Can you get the idea out of my mind that the two rookies are joining Team Boku? That thought never crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's what I need to hear. I'm I'm reading yeah. too much into things. It, it's something where. I mean, I think that eventually they're going to have to break these two up when it, when they're done with everything because those are two rookie loss posts for a little bit, and you already have Punch and Monaga in that unit. So I, I just don't see it happening for that reason. I, I'm very much okay with that, but it was something that I couldn't entirely ignore. I do think the rookies are winning this match. I, I think that is a fair assessment, actually, a, a very easy prediction to make. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely the uh, sense I get out of it. I think that... Kamei and Kakuta have been picking up falls enough, and of course with SBK now being a champion, they're going to want to take that step forward as well. And, you know, I mean, Ginky's not really protected. Ryo Saito can take falls. So, I mean, it's not like you're putting Yamato and Benkei against these two. Yeah, it's it's a winnable match, I think, for either side, but I think the rookies have momentum right now, and that's the direction they're going with. Yes, I'm totally with you there. 
first of our three special matches, these would be main events anywhere in the world. When you when you lay your head down in, on your pillow when you sleep, you think of Ultimo Dragon, Masaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and Taru versus Asumi Yokosuka, Yuzushi Kanda, Kaness, and Taru Nohashi representing Michinoku Pro. So we talked last week about Taru, uh, his scathing shoot promo that he left at Gate of Destiny, which uh, it hurt my feelings, but uh, that's okay. I'll get past it. Taru, I hope this is it. I don't want to see him ever again. I think he's bad news. I think he's a bad wrestler. I don't want him around the promotion. I understand, though, with Ultimo being back, he's trying to to mend and heal as many relationships as he can and Taru being back on this show is great symbolism, even if he's just an abysmal wrestler and, and always has been. What I'm more curious about, Mike, is your thoughts on Taru Nohashi, the former Arakan Sito in Torimon X. I always like Taru Nohashi. Whenever he shows up, I know I'm having a good time. And he he's on a team where I think they're going to lose. I think Nohashi or Kness are taking the falls. But it's something that it was going to be like fun seeing him with Ultimo again, Mochizuki and Fuji, and I think that it's a nice like unsurprise or nice surprise here that at least provides a little bit more uh, spice in a match that would have been most like oh this is like the Ultimo matches they've been having since last year. Yeah, Nohashi is a mainstay in Michinoku Pro now, which doesn't mean a ton. I'm sure I've come across him on one of their four shows a year that makes tape, and even less this year. I have not seen a, a second of 2020 Michinoku Pro, but uh, he's not someone I really have fond memories of. I'm looking now at the Toriumon X career that he had, and you know I, I've said on this podcast before, I, other than Mike and Jay and Alan Forel, I think I've seen more Dragon System than just about any other English speaker but I have seen literally zero Torium on X. And I'm looking now at the the final show this promotion had on September 9th, 2004. And Nohashi is in a featured singles match with Minobu Murakami, who later became a mainstay in Michinoku Pro. Also on that show, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kaz Hayashi, and Yuji Nagata versus Minobu Nakanishi, Minoru Suzuki, and Ultimo Dragon. I remained incredibly confused by the history and existence of Torimon X. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the people who are involved in Torimon X are confused by it, <laughs> even 16 years later. It, it, it's just something that's it's kind of this is kind of neat. Like this is a special match for a special show, and I think that when in doubt, you pick the team that Ultimo's on. I think Ultimo's team wins this match. Not uh, not to go into a cage match wormhole here, but the other match that I was looking at at Nohashi's career earlier today, he wrestled in Chikara a few times, once right. during the 2006 Tag World Grand Prix for Team Torimon, where he teamed with Amigo Suzuki against Team Dragondor of Skyda and Milano Collection AT. I'd really like to hunt that match down. That seems super interesting to go back and watch. Yeah, it's... That that's an interesting match on an interesting tournament, especially like the idea of team Team Dragon Door existing in 2006 with someone <laughs> who's I don't think Milano ever showed up in Dragon Door, so it's just like a wild thing to have. I I'm glad you said that because I didn't think so either, and uh, it looks like he had one match in the promotion. And this is a dandy. This is February seventh, two thousand six. It is the Italian collection eight, uh, Italian collection Milano collection eighty Berlinetta boxer. 
and Ibushino, Kota Ibushi, against the Agon Iso trio of Shuji Kondo, Takayua Sugawara, and Brother Yashi. That's that's enough uh, cage match deep diving for now. I'm sure we'll do it one more time before this episode ends. But my god, what a six-man tag. Dragon Door was weird. Just <laughs> just weird. Just, just a weird promotion. Like, it, I can now... Next to, like, uh, Torimon X, it's the thing I'm always like, why? Just why? But, yeah, uh, that, <laughs> that leads us into the second special match. This is the singles match. This is the match they've been building up since September. This is Dragon Daya and Daya Inferno finally getting their hands on each other one-on-one. And do you think this is it for Inferno? Because that's the thing that kind of stuck in my head and make me think that Inferno is going to win this match. I'm really conflicted on this match. I really don't have a strong idea because we've been hearing from a few different people now that, you know, Die Inferno, his days as that character under that mask are numbered. And we've heard it from a few different sources from from people that I wouldn't normally hear from just about Drangate things in general. But we're assuming it's Yuki Yoshioka, who was in Mexico for a long time. So, you know, a few different people dropped in there. I I, I don't know. I, I My gut is that he's that Inferno's winning this match and then probably unmasking on the December Corican. I, I don't know if that would make storyline sense, but that's kind of the direction that I feel things are going. I don't know. I have a very bad feel on this match and the next match. I really don't. I, and I know Dragon Gate booking pretty well. I feel like I can at least hand in the right direction of what they're doing. I have nothing for this match. Yeah, and I guess it's whenever they want to do the reveal dictates the uh, finish here. Because if they want to have him do a reveal really soon, makes sense for Inferno to get it, get the win here. And then we we have some sort of blow-off at a later date. If this is not going to be a reveal in the immediate future, if we're talking about mid mid 2021 for Inferno finally unmasking. I think Daya wins. You put this a little bit more on ice and you revisit it in 2021 and finally have like a true uh, Apuestas match between these two. That's what I'm struggling to figure out is will this character unmask after beating Daya or after Daya beats him? And I I guess wrestling logic would probably say when Dragon Daya finally scores a pinfall on Daya Inferno, the character's going to unmask. So I'm actually, I'm going to change my prediction. I think Dragon Die is winning here, and I think we are building towards an unmasking sometime in December. Yeah, I can see that being a a Final Gate thing or at that first Corican, but I think that it's going to be Inferno. I think that it's something that I just have a, just like a suspicion that I feel like that Inferno wins. It's just nothing other than my gut here. It's a weird match. It's been well-built. I mean, I talked about the the debut of Die Inferno, I think is one of the greater character-building segments I've ever seen in wrestling. I mean, I'm still thinking about his debut and how he showed up and just his impact was second to none. It was unbelievable. I've liked his character. I've liked his in-ring work. And I still just, I, I don't know what to make of this match. I'm really confused by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I co-sign with all those points here and it's just we don't know how long this feud's going to go there's no real indication other than things we heard that this isn't a permanent character so who knows with that one and who knows with this next one the last special match the last non-title match on the show it is the special six-man tag match naruki doi masato yoshino doi yoshi are teaming with toru owashi 
he is a DDT wrestler, but I guess he is freelance, but it's against the Dragon Gate Generation team of Yamato, KZ, and Strong Machine J, and I think it's a Dragon Gate Generation win. I think that it's something to build up the uh, this team, especially someone like Jay who does not have a major win under his belt, and I could see him pinning Masato Yoshino in this match. This is a weird match, right? Like, this... Oh, sure, yeah. This feels a little bit thrown together, and we talked about it a few weeks ago about how Yamato was weirdly out of place at Kobe World, which is never the case and has not been the case since probably 2008. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of this match. I think if Strong Machine J takes the fall, if he's the one that's pinned or submitted, I think that will say a lot about his future and, you know, whether or not he can be healthy on a regular basis, whether or not they still have the faith in him that they had last year, I think we'll learn a lot there. If he pins Yoshino or Doi or Awashi, who every time Awashi shows up, I'm always afraid that he's going to become full-time, that I, I dread a post-match promo where Ultimo says, hey, why don't you come by here monthly? I don't want that. I think Awashi's fine. I think he's also fine because he's coming in four times a year, maybe, and I don't need more of him than that. But I, I think he's taking the fall, and I, I guess Jay pinning him, if he can get him up for that Devil's Windmill suplex, is probably the right answer. It's just, I don't know, it's a strange match. It's just a weird collection of talent, and, you know, because we haven't heard anything either behind the scenes or from the promotion themselves about Yoshino retiring at the end of the year, I'm going to assume... Yoshino's wrestling through at least the first half of 2021 because this does not feel like Yoshino's uh, farewell to Kobe World Hall. Yeah, that's the wild thing about this is that there's n- I I would put the chance on uh, Yoshino retiring or wrestling at a Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 at very low. So it's it it, it does really feel like though that they had everything else kind of planned out and it's weird that these five or the five that do not feel like they had a distinct plan going into this match and makes you at least not speak for you but makes me wonder if it's like a big red herring that this is it and I can't shake that feeling I don't expect it but just with how this match is constructed in such a kind of an odd way it's hard to get a read on it I don't think so I just think Dragon Gate and Yoshino in particular when it's it will know and I don't think they're going to throw us a curveball there it's just, it's weird to think that y- Yamato's the one that sticks out here, because Doi, Yoshino, and Awashi teaming, I think that would make sense on a normal Kobe World show. That doesn't surprise me at all. It's Yamato not having a featured match that is really just eye-catching to me, just because, again, it's Kobe World, it's Yamato. He's, he's more often than not, he's wrestling for the Dreamgate. I thought that's what he was going to be doing this year. I thought it would be Yamato versus Eita. And it's not, and so it's just a strange match. But I think Strong Machine J will be involved in the finish one way or another, either pinning Awashi or Yoshino, or if he's getting pinned, I think that is a sign of bad things to come for the masked man. Yeah, that's the real bellwether in this match is on what side of the finish J is. I'm totally on board with you there. Then we get into the uh, other three title matches on the show. The first one is... Dragon Gate Generation champion team of Kota Minora and Jason Lee defending the Twin Brigade against the team that confuses all of us, the RED team of BB Hulk and Kai. In case did you ever hear across last week 
the essential nugget of why uh, Hulk or Kai is, are teaming together? Because I still have no idea. No, I do not know, and it is something that in any other promotion, New Japan included, AEW included, if they were teaming together, I would not care. Uh, for those that don't know, Kai broke BB Hulk in half basically last year. Did he officially break his neck? Was that? I, I know Mike is having a, a horrible coughing fit over there. Mike, are you doing all right? I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to, he- I'm sorry to hear your struggles there, but so Kai and BB Hulk had this, you know, a, a legitimate injury happen in the ring last year, which in storyline led to Hulk turning heel and turning on Kai specifically and Kai and Yamato together. So it bothers me that Kai is now heel and that he's teaming with BB Hulk because to me, they should still be side-eyeing one another and that should kind of be the direction they go. And it's just storytelling that I, I wouldn't expect from another promotion, but from Dragon Gate, I need that reasoning there because it's a company built on intricate details. So it's a little bit frustrating that they're teaming together. It's also a little bit frustrating that I think there's a 100% chance they win this match. Minora and Lee have had a really nice run. Jason Lee has shown that he can hang in big spots, and Coach Minora has proven that, you know, he's a future guy. He's a future main eventer, and this was his first title run, and I thought it was a very, very solid reign for the two of them. But Hulk and Kai are winning this match, and it's why I think, to an extent, that Akuda's losing the opener, because I think R.A.D. is going to need heel challengers, or I'm sorry, babyface challengers, and it might come by way of Ben K and Kaisuke Akuda teaming with one another for the Twin Gate belts. Yeah, yeah, no. I totally co-signed up all of that. I drank some La that went down the wrong pipe, so I apologize for my voice for the next <clears throat> minute or so. But it's something where my desire for uh, Lee and Minora to <clears throat> pardon my desire for Lee and Minora to retain is solely because I want them to have more matches as champions. But it just really seems like that Hulk and Kai they have to be together for some reason, and I think it's as you're saying that time to get some fresh challengers in the scene and Minor and Lee really they're at a point now that we're not going to get probably a speed muscle challenge uh we're not going to get Yokosuka Chome it just kind of seems like a logical ending point it's frustrating because they do have those matches left in the tank especially a speed muscle match and given Jason Lee's history in maximum with Doi and Yoshino it would be really nice to get that match but Unfortunately, this is just a logical end to a title run, and when we previewed the match that they won the titles in back in August, I said I want them to win simply for the fact that for the past two years, the Twin Gate belts have revolved around Yamato, Kai, and BB Hulk in some form or fashion. They are the teams, they are the guys that are always holding these titles, and they haven't done a bad job with them, but I'm ready for something new, and Minora and Lee were those new guys, and now we're going right back to Hulk and Kai, and I'm sure they'll have a fine reign. They might be a good team, but just for the sake of freshness on the card, it's a bummer to see the Twin Gate belts going back there. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, as I've been saying, this is probably the ceiling for Jason Lee, as badly as I don't want it to be. And that's another reason why I want to see the style run ring continue. I want Jason Lee to get the uh, recognition that he deserves. And also, like as you were saying, don't real. It's okay that they're in the Twin Gate title scene, but it's to a point where it feels like that 
that trio of Hulk, Kai, and Yamato kind of dom- dominate it. And I'm ready for for us to f- fully close the door on, on that uh, era of the Twin Gate titles. I don't think it's happening, though, and I think it's a bummer. But uh, Jason Lee, like you said, he's been absolutely incredible. I think he is a true contender for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter most underrated category, the guy that is, is under-pushed. I think Jason Lee is that guy because he's shown he can hang with everybody on the roster and he can hang, you know, impressing people in an opening six-man tag match in Cork and Hall. But now he has these big-time twin-gate big show matches under his belt as well, and he's delivered in those as well. He's truly an incredible talent that if he's, you know, in the New Japan Juniors division or if he's in AEW, he's a guy that people are talking about and a guy that would generate buzz. But he's in Dragon Gate where the working standard is so high that for as good as he is, he's kind of just another guy on the roster. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, this is like the perfect place for him and this is like the perfect position for him within Dragon Gate. And I just don't want it to end because this is the only company that this would happen for him. So. Alas, we do have the Open the Triangle Gate match to talk about. That's right. We're getting a now rare three-way match is for the Triangle Gate Championship. The champ, the champion team is the RED team of Takashi Yoshida, Kazuma Sakamoto, and SB Kento. The two challenger teams are Torimon Generation of Dragon Kid, Suji Kondo, Kagatora, and the Dragon Gate Generation team is Benkei, Yosuke Samaria, and UT. And it's interesting. Like, it makes sense why they would have this match here, but they, before three-way wave war, they've really gotten out of the idea of doing three-way matches here, and it's you know, this is, other than, like, random singles matches, this is the first real big one that I can remember from this feud. I was going to ask, has there been a three-way tag match in 2020 for Dragon Gate? I do not think so. I know there's been three-way singles matches, but tag team matches? I know one of, if it's happened, it's not made tape. Or, or it hasn't been a trios match. It's been two-on-two-on-two. On two on two. So that's another element that I had not considered. Look, this is my most anticipated match of the night. I think this has a chance to be legitimately great at match of the year contender level, and I hope I'm not jinxing myself by coming in with too high expectations, but look, you've got the RED team, Takashi Yoshida, who is not good, but can play his role well in matches like this, Kazuma Sakamoto, who I've said since his debut in the company, he has the footwork and the talent to hang in these matches, you've got SB Kento, who, I mean, my God, you know, on top of the world right now, just unbelievable, I talked earlier, I love the Toriumon team, the junior heavyweight, middleweight, heavyweight aspect they have with Kid, Kagatora, and Kondo. And the Drangi Generation team, you've got Ben K in there, you're going to have Big Match Maria, and you're going to have Big Match UT. I mean, this has a chance to be legitimately great, and I hope it delivers on that level. Because, you know, the finish to me, the question with the finish is, who was SB Kento going to submit? I don't know if the result is in question, but how high this match peaks is up for debate. And I hope, I hope they kill it because now you have the added wrinkle that unless Mike and I are forgetting something, and I don't think we are, it's the first uh, nine-man trios match that Drangate has had all year. And Mike and I were speculating back in May before we knew that World would be moved to November, when we thought it still might take place in July, that this style of match should headline this show to fully capture the generational warfare. Instead, we get it in the semi-main event. And I also think that's important. This is not match four. This is not match five. This is the semi-main event. This is getting time 
and this could be legitimately, legitimately great. And it's something where, especially with like Kento, I think that we we're on the same page. Red, I mean, they're not going to have Kento just lose this immediately with how they're booking him. It's just something where you like look at this match and how it's it's coming together. Of course, you have Kondo and Benke, you have Yoshida that's there, and then everyone else here. That this is a match that I think you could put lofty expectations for just because of the people involved. But at the same time, you have to keep yourself rooted in a vein of realism just because it's Yoshida, Kagatora, and Sakamoto here that this is interesting. Like, I don't know how this match goes. There's a way I hope it goes, but I don't necessarily see it happening. I'm just hoping we get a lot of UT and Kondo here. Yeah, it's it's there's so many combinations to like in this match. You not only have UT and Kondo, you have Ben K and Kondo, you have Ben K and Dragon Kid, who I think are excellent together, and you have Kento Kabune, SB Kento, with everyone. I mean, he could step up to the plate and fight every single person in this match, and I trust that his chemistry is going to be off the charts. I mean, I don't remember us getting extended Kento UT interaction. That's another one of those things that that could just, they could have a flurry of moves in this match that are going to be unmatched by the rest of the wrestling world. I, I, I'm just so excited to see what these guys come up with. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's UT in the semi-main event of Kobe World. This will be the biggest match of his life. UT delivers in big matches. I, I just, I really think this is going to be a special match even with the handicap of Takashi Yoshida being involved. And it's something that even to Yoshida's benefit, he's shown some really good chemistry with SB Kento. Like like this RED team is not a big speed bump to get over. It's something that, you know, it could really work out really well here. And then we're talking about something truly special. It turns out this RED team is not going to just be a lot of Takashi Yoshida slowing things down. I'm I'm ecstatic for it. I think this and the main event are going to be no, no matter what we get on the undercard. This and the main event, I just I feel very good about. Yeah, these are the two matches probably worth going out of your way for. That leads us to the main event. It is for the Open the Dream Gate Championship. It is Ada making his second defense against Shun Skywalker in his first match since Excursion. What's your percentage on Shun winning this match? Hundred percent. I don't I don't know how he could come back and lose this. I just don't. You know, I, I I want to talk about Shun Skywalker at length, but to answer your question quickly, 100% he's winning this match. I'm probably 99 just because I can't count out Ada retaining here, but just feels like that this is the coronation here. And for someone like Shun Skywalker returning in his first match in Kobe World and first match in Dragon Gate in 2020, it's, it's really remarkable and really bold doing this for a Kobe World main event. You know, Dragon Gate likes sending the fans home happy. That's a, that's a thing that matters to them, especially on their biggest show of the year. If you look at the main events, and, you know, every Kobe World, with the exception of 2006, the main event has been the Dream Gate match. And there, there was no comprehensive evidence to, to say one way or another Ata's retaining or Ata's losing the belt. In 2007... Shima won the belt over Liger in 2008. Shingo won the vacant belt over BB Hulk. In 2009, Doi won the Brave Gate Dream Gate Unification match. 2010, Yoshino went over Yamato. 2013, Shingo over Shima. 2014, Hulk over Yamato. 2016, Yamato over Shingo. And 2019, Benkei over Pac. 
I mentioned those matches because with the exception of 2008 when Shingo beat BB Hulk, those were all baby faces getting their moment at the end of the show. I think a similar pattern is going to take shape here. I, I think Ata has been positioned as this really dastardly heel. He's been the face of a heel unit for two years now. And ultimately him winning the belt at Kobe World, or I guess not him winning, because if you win the belt as a heel, you're still going to get that shock and awe pop, assuming everything is done right. But him retaining the belt as a heel is a different story. It's why the hypothesis of Doi versus Ata being the original Kobe World Main Event makes sense, because I do think, especially with the match that they had at Memorial Gate, that was a Kobe World Main Event, where by the end of it, you're so sucked into the story of the match that it doesn't matter that Ata's a heel winning this match. Ata as a heel coming in with the title, though, I think Shun, again, it's a 99.9, I'm going to say 100% chance he wins this match, one, because Ata's a heel, and I just don't think they're going to have the heel champion retain. But two, Shun Skywalker has been groomed for this moment. And I, I, I just want to encapsulate his career up to this point a little bit, because I think there are some things that maybe people forgot about. He's been away from Dragon Gate since December 4th of last year. So, I mean, Mike, we know people over at Voices of Wrestling who have not watch Dragon Gate with Shun Skywalker involved, and I think it's important to to kind of remind people, you know, this is a guy that debuts in 2016, he's in the same class as Yuki Yoshioka, Ben K, Hio Watanabe, and the now-retired Katsumi Takashima. For the first year and a half, two years of his career, you know, he debuted as Shun Watanabe, he quickly donned the mask and became Shun Skywalker, and there's a period of Cork and Hall shows in 2017 and 2018 where every single Cork and Hall show opens with a Shun Skywalker match and a six-man or eight-man tag where Skywalker is deliberately given 90 seconds or two minutes of showcase time. And more often than not, that was him doing a big dive to the outside. It started with him taking the falls. By the end of that point of his career, he was the one getting the falls in these matches. But it was very blatant. That these were Skywalker showcases in the openers. From there, his first big break, he's teaming with Masaki Mochizuki in the All Japan Junior Heavyweight Tag League. Uh, they did not go super far in the tournament. Skywalker obviously took all of the losses there, but it was a big, big time moment for Skywalker where it was like, oh, you're seeing this guy like one. He's kind of a gimmicky wrestler. He kind of feels like he'd be an early 90s Michinoku pro guy. But he fits in an All Japan. Like, he looks like the best worker in this tournament. And he's with All Japan Junior Heavyweights. It gave him a, a legitimacy that he needed. And then, for me, the turning point for Skywalker is Dangerous Gate 2018. He and Mochizuki team for the... Uh, they go after the Twin Gate belts with BB Hulk and Yamato. And Shun Skywalker almost dies about 10 different times in that match. Skywalker is an amazing high flyer, but it's not like watching Pac or Ricochet or Kota Ibushi. This man will make you scared for not only his life, but your own life, because you never know where this guy's going. And Shun has this train wreck of a performance that is so beautiful and death-defying and unbelievable. And from there, it really seemed like he figured out 
just how to be Shun Skywalker to the fullest extent. He's got a 20-minute draw December 4th, 2018 at Corken Hall with UT. That leads at the beginning of 2019 to the Rookie Rankings Tournament, where which he wins. He beats Kaito Ishida in the finals in January at that Corken Hall show. And then February 5th, 2019, he beats Ben K. Clean in a singles match in Corken Hall. He's the one guy that he that beat Ben K. in Ben K.'s quest to the Open the Dreamgate belt. After that, Ben K. would be undefeated in King of Gate. He would beat Pac for the belt at Kobe World, but he lost to Shun Skywalker. And then from there, he wrestles once again with Mochizuki on the Giant Baba Death Anniversary show where they, they teamed against Jinsei, Jinsei Shinzaki and Naomichi Marafuji. He went on after winning the rookie ranking tournament after beating Ben K. He loses to Pac at Champion Gate last year. It is one of the single greatest storytelling matches I've ever seen. I'm higher on that match than just about anybody else, but I really thought we were watching a masterclass performance from both men because the result was never in question. There was a 0% chance Skywalker was winning that match and they kind of worked it like that. Like, it's it's full of hope spots and gasps for air of Skywalker possibly beating this guy, but really he never has a chance. And then we see him transition into this really unique period, starting at Kobe World of last year, where he starts losing all of these big matches. At World, he loses to KZ. At Dangerous Gate, he loses to Susumu. At the October Korokan last year, he loses to Masato Yoshino. At Gate of Destiny last year, he's in this lottery tag match where he and Mochizuki team together against KZ and Yamato, and Shun Skywalker loses again. The November Korokan Hall show, it's Speed Muscle against Binkei and Shun Skywalker, and Shun loses again. And then finally, December 4th last year, Ben K versus Shun Skywalker, and Shun loses again. It is a long-term story being told here, and the important thing is, Shun Skywalker has been groomed for this moment. He has a career of big matches, and more importantly, he has a history and a career of delivering in these big matches. And for all of Ata's faults, and there are a lot of them, although I, I, I feel bad for Ata in some respects because this rain has just, you know, I I think unfortunately we learned a lot about Ata in this rain, and that is that he is always the bridesmaid and never the bride. Because even with the Open the Dreamgate title, he never felt like the most important guy on the card. But he's done his duty. He has held the belt from August to November to get to this point where the coronation is going to be Shun Skywalker ending Kobe World with the Open the Dreamgate belt around the waist. It's not fair to call him an ace. We're not going to call Shun Skywalker the future of this promotion, but he is the man for the moment, and he is your next Open the Dreamgate champion. And it's something for Shun that it re- it's not just like the man the moment, and it's not him representing like future ace-dom. It's just representing the future of the company, because when you the big story of Dragon Gate, really, since 2015, I would say, and I'm writing an article, a column about this that should be up if not Friday, up Saturday, talking about how Dragon Gate is in this position that a lot of promotions face, and it is especially in Japanese wrestling that your bedrock person in your promotion. 
Yurimasawa and Kobayashi, or not Kobayashi, Kobashi and Noah. Your Ricky Dozen, even in the first ever promotion Japan had. <clears throat> They're so reliant on these guys. And whenever something happens where they pass away, leave wrestling, or retire, a lot of these companies crumble. And it's something that with Dragon Gate, they've been very fortunate that for the first 21 years of the promotion, they based it around wrestlers that were very young in 1998 and 1999. You, you talk about Dragon Kid, you talk about Ryo Saito, you talk about Shima. They started wrestling when they were 20 and 21. So they got this nice 20-year thing where you have these guys that the crowd knows that's built up around them. And it's not a singular ace, unlike Ricky Dozen or Misawa or Kobashi. It's this group that they've been able to bank on and has been this big draw for Dragon Gate fans, Torimon fans. But it's now 2020. We're about to be 2021. All those wrestlers in that generation, there's more days behind them than they are forward in the wrestling ring. We are already seeing the uh, prolonged retirement of Masato Yoshino, and he's the first. Sooner rather than later, we're going to start seeing these for your Susumi Yokosukas. We're going to start seeing these for Ryo Saito. And I'm not wishing it on, it's just reality. You can't beat time. And since 2014, they, or really since Shima dropped the uh, Open the Dreamgate at Kobe World 2013, they were in this period where they, instead of having these first-class, first-term wrestlers being the people that the promotion was based around, it was based around the big six. It was based around Yamato, Shingo Takagi, Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, BB Hulk, and Akira Tozawa. Sometime next year, it's going to just be Doi, Hulk, and, and Yamato. And Hulk, we've already seen him being cycled down. Doi, for all intents and purposes, other than like dings and occasional like scratches, is in pretty good shape. Who knows how much longer he has, though. And Yamato it turns 40 next year. So this is a time that the company has to start this transition. And as you said, they've been building it for Shun Skywalker practically since 2016. And the crowd's reacting to it. And you look up and down this card. Eita's the oldest person that's really a big factor in this generation. He's still under the age of 30. But Shun Skywalker, he's not 25. <clears throat> Kento, Kento's 20. UT is 26. Kaido Shida is 29. Kaido Shida is 24. Keisuke Akuda, I believe, is 29. So they've been preparing for this moment because eventually you're going to take the training wheels off with these kids. They kind of started loosening them up last year with Benke. Benke, another person. He's 29, by the way. They took these off here because it is almost time for the Dragon System and Dragon Gate to have to really rely on these kids just because you can't beat time. And I think in doing so, having this coordination for Shun being not the ace, not being possibly the future ace. I don't, I, I don't know who the future ace would be in five years, but that's beside the point. But having Shun Skywalker win this match after everything's built up here, it flags this new era, an era that has been they've been dipping their toes into for a long time. I thought that they were fully committing to it last year, but of course, in retrospect, that wasn't the case. And it's no slight against Ada, but it does seem like that we are going to start seeing wrestlers that were not born when Torimon started. I mean, Kento, SB Kento was born in 2000. UT was a kid going to shows. But it's going to be these guys going forward. And I think it starts at Kobe World on Sunday.
yeah, it's wrestlers my age. It's uh, it's nice to see some representation on these cards, Mike. <laughs> and the the last thing that I'll mention here, it was great seeing Ata versus KZ, even if that wasn't a great match, mostly due to the finish, because it was just a match that we had not seen before. We we are we talked earlier on a rewind and rewatch Trangit USA podcast that will be out in a few weeks about the only other Ata versus KZ match that there was, and that happened in 2012. Well, if you look at the history of Aten Shu and Skywalker, they wrestled on house shows in 2016 and 2018. You know, those were untelevised. They wrestled on a prime zone in 2017. And their first meeting was on a Drangate next show in 2016. Mike, I just I just want to read you this card because Mike and I do a lot of talking about like, oh my god, what if what what if we got next footage? Like, would that not be the greatest thing? This show, four matches, L Lindeman versus Hyo Watanabe. Ata versus Shun Skywalker, T-Hawk versus Yuki Yoshioka, and the main event, which isn't as special, Ben K and Yosuke Santa Maria versus Punch Tamanaga and Takahiro Yamamura. We would devour this show if this footage somehow popped up. Oh no, that show sounds amazing. That show sounds amazing. And, and you talk about that show, that show is very representative of what we have now. It, it very much is, and it's something that we're going to be seeing more and more as it becomes 2021, 2022, and 2023. It's... It's just really impressive, you know, when this podcast started, and don't listen to those episodes, so, you know, start listening to this show from our, co- you know, honestly, I think I came back full-time for Kobe World last year, right? and since then, you know, we we did more frequent episodes, and then in March this year, we went to a weekly format, which I, I'm really, for a number of reasons, glad we did, so... I feel like our show's gotten really good over the past year. I'm really happy with our output. But the point is, in 2016, when this show first started, before Mike was even on the show, we talked about the class of 2016 and Ben K and Hio Watanabe, Shun Skywalker, Katsumi Takashima, and Yuki Yoshioka about how they were the future along with Takahiro Yamamura, T-Hawk, and Yuga Hayashi, a.k.a. Al Lindemann. And they lost. That's the thing with Dragon Gate. They lost essentially an entire generation of guys either retiring due to injury or fleeing to OWE. And the fact that they were able to restock the pond this quickly, it's unbelievable. No other promotion can do this. The constant flow of young talent. And we know of Masahiro Inoue, who's had exhibition matches, but has not made his official pro debut. And we know they just accepted another six kids in the dojo. Plus we know about more people that are in the dojo. So there's, there's about 10 guys circulating right now. Look, the odds are we're not going to see all 10 of them. Some of those kids are going to leave the dojo and more power to them. But the fact that there's more and more talent to choose from, it's just unbelievable. And Ata versus Shun Skywalker is the reward. That's the important part. Drangate is being rewarded for investing in young talent, for taking care of them, for protecting them, and putting them in an environment to thrive. And that's what this match is. And that's why this company is the promotion of the year. And I, I, I can't even fathom an argument for New Japan. I think All Elite's been great, but I think Drangate's been better. I, they're in, you know, third place at this point. I mean, my God, what a crapshoot. But uh, I, maybe Ring of Honor, honestly. <laughs> but, I, I did, wow. But uh, the the fact is, Drangate is being rewarded for this match. And I and I hope they kill it. And I hope Shun Skywalker begins his Open the Dreamgate run on the right note. And that those are that's what I got, Mike. That's Kobe World. 
Uh, just a couple points that you brought up that I kind of want to go a little bit more in. It's not just that they lost like a generation. You know how I love my spreadsheets and I kind of have people by where I approximate their generation is. It's not just that when L. Lindemann, T. Hawk, and Takira Yamamura left, it killed, it, it really took the feet out from this generation that was from basically 2011 through 2015. Then you keep on going back. The big six, which I talked about briefly, half of them are already gone. So that's another generation that the time it, that they time invested did not necessarily pay off. But now you look at it, and it extends past this main event. It extends past uh, Ata at 29, I believe, headlining the show. It goes past Shun Skywalker headlining the show. You got Kento Kabune, SB Kento, 20, just turned 20 this year in the semi-main event. You have UT there as well, born in 1994, 26 years old. Kodama and Nora in the third ma- third highest match on the show, a championship match, 21. Then you scroll all the way down the opener, Keisuke Okuda and Kaido Ishida. Okuda is around 29, Ishida is 24. No other promotion has been able to prepare themselves like this because no other promotion would have the foresight and have the courage to say, this guy has is just turned 20. He's not even past his rookie year. We're putting him in the semi-main event. In New Japan, Kento Kabune is still five years away from having serious wins. In WWE, he's not even signed because they don't sign people really of his age. Only Dragon Gate. And some Joshi promotions, but Joshi promotions operate on a t- drastically different time frame with people's careers. But only Dragon Gate's able to have the courage to say, we believe in this guy, we prepared him for it, now go knock them dead. Only Dragon Gate is in a realistic expectation that only one out of the four title belts coming out of the show will be he- would have an average age above the age of 35. And you do that investment, you have the best training system in the world. There are people who are not Japanese people that travel to Japan, and they're not even booked. But they will travel in Japan just to spend a vacation, spend a break, take time away from work, or just go to train at this dojo. It's that remarkable. And it's even more. And what we're seeing now is at at what I argue, and I might be way off base on this, and probably a, a moment that's as crucial as the change from Tori Mon to Dragon Gate and rebounding after Shima and OWE happened. This is this moment's up there because this all goes to plan. The next 15 years in Dragon Gate, barring some unforeseen catastrophe, drama, or whatever, they're good. I can't, you can't say that about any other promotion in the world. And I'm dead convinced of that. Yeah, well, I mean, we talk about this every week now. No, no one's doing what they're doing. They're the best promotion in the world. I think Kobe World is going to be a home run. And, you know, I, I really hope if anybody's on the fence, Again, November is the month to do it. You're running out of time, though. We're halfway through the month now. But you're it's just, God, there's so much good stuff happening in this promotion right now. It is so exciting to be following this promotion on a week-in, week-out basis. And it's something, and, I, and you know I hate doing this, case. I'm going to pull out the vet card for a second. I hate doing this, but I need to do this once. So, this is something that it's rewards their viewers for your, for your new-coming fans. 
case watching that we we're watching Shun Skywalker in 2016 have an outstanding match at the end of 2016. But but keeping keeping your attention on the promotion and continuously following it, you get something that's as rewarding as Shun Skywalker, most likely prohibitively the favorite of becoming the next Open the Dreamgate champion. And it's worth oh it. Oh my god. I mean, if you would have told me when he debuted under that mask that he would be challenging for the Dreamgate title once, let alone at Kobe World, I there was no chance. I mean, this guy looked like a walking dinosaur. It was the most bizarre costume I'd ever seen. And for him to, you know, I, we always thought Skywalker would be like a fun undercard guy who would have the Bravegate belt for a while and, and would just... Just a fun guy that would stand out in this promotion because he looked so different. And man, when he when he turned things on, I mean, it was really. I, I look back really fondly at, at last year, and kind of December in that UT twenty minute draw into the rookie rankings tournament, into that POC match. That's like a four month period where I I really felt like something was happening. And I talked about it on this show. I talked about it with Alan Forrell on his show on the Pro Wrestling Torch Podcasting Network. It was just, it was the start of something new, and I recognized it then, and it's coming to fruition now, and it's great to see. Yeah, and it's going to be great to watch this show on Sunday. So, do you have any other big thoughts or takeaways you want to get into before we get out of here? No, God. I mean, if if you're a, a newer fan listening to this podcast, trying to get a feel for the promotion, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at underscore in your case. I will do my best to answer whatever questions you have this week. I'll point you to Drangate Network match recommendations if you want those, because uh, it's Kobe World Week, and I get excited, and I, I want to let people in. I, I abhor gatekeepers, and I, I want to bring as many people into this promotion as I can. So I'm on Twitter at underscore in your case. Mike is on Twitter at Fujiheo with two eyes like Don Fuji. And you can reach both of us and the podcast at open voice gate on Twitter. Mike, sorry to steal the plugs from you, but I was on a roll. <laughs> no, thank you. My, my voice as as listeners can tell, you know, you drink a LaCroix, it goes down your windpipe and then, and then you spend 10 minutes talking about your theory on generations in wrestling. So I'm glad that you're the one to take care of that, but I think that's going to do it for us. We somehow talked about half an hour on that main event. I don't think anyone else in the world is going to be doing that. So thank I, I hope not. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we're pretty sick people. We went sicko mode on the show, but it's Kobe World time, damn it. And we will go sicko mode on Kobe uh, World. And we'll probably go sicko, sicko mode next week reviewing this amazing show. Like, I, I can't wait for it on Sunday. It's the one time a year case that I pull an all-nighter because it's Kobe World. It's my favorite wrestling show of the year. And I can't wait for Sunday. It's a it's a three p.m. Japanese start time, which means it's it's gonna happen at midnight Central Time. I'm ecstatic. I can't wait for it. Yeah, one a.m. This show will would be probably about four hours. I'll guess. I mean, three and a half to four hours, and I will be there every moment of the way. So, thank you all for listening. For any of the new coming listeners, thank you for trying this out uh, again. As Kay said, you could hit us up on Twitter. But that's gonna do it here for Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week with a review of Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2020. So for Case, I'm Mike. Thank you for listening. Take care.